Okay, guys. I'm back for another four chapters. Are you ready? Here we go. First chapter of this episode. Are you ready? Let's begin. I managed to drift over to the riverbank and crawl up onto dry land, dragging my torso above the waterline. It was a Herculean effort, though pathetic. To an onlooker, I'd appeared to be a major drama queen. One hand slowly climbing after another, pulling in slow motion, gasping. I'd kill to see anyone out here, of course. I've killed the two people I have run into so far, but I was alone, having led myself a million miles away from hope. All I had were wet clothes and unanswered questions. Why drink oil? Why my husband wears a phone? I need, I need physically proficient help. I need cop, better yet, an FBI task force. Well, to go now, the crags were south, the freeway north, my husband and the crags might need me. I could give him an update on my trials out here in the wild, and he could tell me whether he might have to tell me, like, you know, Miranda, funny thing I should have mentioned, here's why an army of men might try to kill you on your stroll through the western United States. The possibility of actual help, though, was north. A busy highway, the Big Old Highway, gave me the best chance of finding a good Samaritan and then law enforcement. Yet what would I, yet what would I even say, even if I managed to flag down a speeding speeding motorist by the side of my highway at night. What if he or let's see didn't believe me even if I managed to find the nearest police force? How would that story go? Officer, I need your help, I said aloud. We hosting. I, uh, I, taking things out, talking things out always helps me when I'm overwhelmed. It comes naturally to me. And right now, exhausted, starving, battled, half drowned, I felt half insane. Why not make an imaginary friend while I was at it? Anything to keep me going. I took a few gradual steps along the higher slope. I would again hike to the nearest vista point so I can make an informed decision. Excuse me, officer, I repeated to the imaginary cop. What seems to be the trouble, miss? I said back to myself. Slight southern accent. Well, you see, Drake oil? Reckon I don't follow, I said, tilting up my imaginary cowboy hat. I decided. I had on boots and spurs, a female deputy detective. For a bite of your eclair, I said to her, I will tell you. I took a bite out of the 
finally detectives plan I took a bite out of the phantom detectives phantom eclair and noted that my hunger level was talking to get to me he started working for Drake Royal three years ago I said who said the detective my husband I thought you said you are the one in oil we both Skip the foo-foo, said the detective. Tell me facts, just the facts. Three, six inches ago, I was already a mile through the canyon by my reckoning. The clock was spinning unforgivingly in my head. My imaginary detective had no patience, so I got to the point. Once upon a time, this really awesome chick with a soft wit and tendency to say exactly what she thinks met a man named Aaron Cooper, who made her heart glow like E.T.'s Wood glow. We both had have, we both had have a lot, a love of the great outdoors. I was doing a geographical survey work for all your dealing and he was doing legal work out in the field. We had noble aspirations to help make the world a better. Ma'am, sorry, the point is that soon I became a full-time mom and my husband got promoted at Drake Oil and I never thought I'd be up against mortals. I started to lose my train of thought. What could my husband mean about trust. What? said the detective. Trust. Who I trust. What did he mean? More important than answers is keeping my family safe. The only assurance of that was to keep the wolves as far away from the front yard as possible. You can trust whoever owns it, said the detective. As badly as I wanted to go back to Serena and Aaron interrogate him about what he meant by his cryptid, cryptic warnings. I decided to steer my enemies in the other direction. If I, I if I identified the forces correctly, there had to be at least one left. And if he or they were following me, tracking me, listening to me, then I was now devoted to keeping them up north. I turned immediately to Mount in that direction. I didn't want to stay here. hidden. I walked to move fast. Find the highway. Find the path. I guessed that it would be three miles, but took shortcuts. Wherever the topography would allow, cutting across the rock face, occasionally jogging, and with that determination, I went up I wound up on the way on the north wind of the canyon. Daylight was warning. Ugly things were happening all around me, and I was pretending I was fine with that. I was pretending I could chit-chat with imaginary cops and that I hadn't killed two people. Most of all, I was pretending I wasn't terrified out of my mind. The truth was, if I let reality hit me, I would crumble. 
So I had to lie to myself, had to think that I could make things work out. When darkness had undeniably fallen, I found some scrub that I could sleep. Found some scrub that I could sleep in that would hide me well enough. It wouldn't hide me from the cold. I was less worried about the cold than the bullets. I was worried about Aaron and Sierra, of course, but I had to assume they were safe in the cave. I didn't think there was any way that I could sleep, but the events of the day had taken their toll, and I was soon dreaming of food and water and big koala hugs. That's it for the first chapter of this episode. Ready for the second chapter of this episode? Let's begin. After some amount of time, I awoke. Maybe it it had all been a dream, but no, here I was, a maze of tall, slender rock formations. Short coffee, less minutes after waking. It was dangerous to be up here, a treacherous jungle gym of limestone. But it was worth it. I found a vantage point to finally behold the grail. Up ahead in the distance was Highway 89, storm gloriously across the desert like an umbilical cord to salvation. I I never been so happy to see concrete cars zipped by in the distance. Happy families on the happy ways. It was a giddy feeling of hope. I hadn't experienced in quite some time. It was intoxicating, mental bliss, and it was precisely what got me in trouble. There was voices around me, men nearby. I hadn't noticed until it was too late. Two men getting louder, getting closer. Even from my vantage point, I couldn't see where they were, but I could hear one shouting directions to the other, and I soon caught his name. Clay, down this way. No, go up here from where you are, shouted Clay. Can't you see the one stack that's in shadow? Clay was the man in charge. They must have gotten lost or separated. Well, shouted the guy who wasn't Clay. I can't see it. They were practically on top of me. They'd be no turning around without getting caught. Thankfully, they couldn't see each other or me. Although I did manage to catch a glimpse of Clay, he was green cut, corporate and athletic, matching the small rasp in his voice, seemingly not emotionally like the first two I met, but still paralyzed me with fear. They had guns and I didn't, but they didn't know I didn't. I had an opportunity, a bit a scary one. I took a deep breath. I needed my voice to reverberate throughout the cathedral of rocks and throughout their souls. I would need those men to tremble. I would need them to believe. I was pointing a rifle at them. 
So I clen so I cleared my throat, stilled my voice, and bellowed my opening gambit. Move, and I'll kill you. There you go. That was a short chapter. Huh, that was a short chapter. That was a short chapter. Mm -hmm. that, there you have it. That was the second chapter of this episode. Ready for the third chapter of this episode? Let's begin. They both stopped talking. After an eternity, I heard some quick, quiet scrambling, then total silence. My heart was pounding so loud, I was sure they would echolate me by its beat. I couldn't see Clay, but I knew he was across the walks, across the walk colony, about 30 feet away from me. Eventually, I could hear him again. He was quietly guiding his partner around the maze with shrill whispers. All three of us were now blindly situated in a deadly game of Marco Polo. I kept track of their chatter and managed to intercept some of, of his hushed commands, thereby piercing together my own plan of attack. How to move, where to move, when to move, I had the upper hand. From my hidden porch, I would give them enough phony clues to convince them I was watching the whole time. Then, with clever warning, I could get them to put their guns on the ground and back away. Brilliant, right? Wow. Suddenly, I looked around to realize that I was the one being gamed. Clay was baiting me, knowing that I could hear his last round of whispering. It was just loud enough that I could catch his details, not loud enough that it was obvious. He'd lured me to climb into what I now saw was a central cluster of the rock formation. He'd orchestrated revenues. I was in serious trouble. I expected him to get quiet now, that he had me where he wanted, but he talked directly to me. Miranda, he said, not shouting, but projecting like a Greek orator, saying my name like a dad would say it, like he was addressing his teenage kid who was caught sneaking back into the house at 2 a.m. Miranda, he repeated. I didn't answer. My name is Clay Thompson. He couldn't see me through he in Snowden. He still didn't know exactly where I was or whether I was armed. It was a miracle. He and his pet thug hadn't stormed my nook. If they did, both of them at once, I'd be concerned in broad daylight. I'll be cornered in broad daylight. I it be over. But they weren't coming. I'm not here to hurt you, said Clay. Yeah, why? You can fertilize the lawn with that one. 
I'm not here to hurt your family, Miranda. He was playing verbal chess. I'm here to help you at it. I'm here to help. <coughs> I'm here to help, he added. We both are. I was too scared to retort, but I couldn't afford to stay quiet. I needed to resort some kind of cooperative quantity. My silence was a giant white flag being waved like a sea of Kleenex, indicating I was weak. I'm Clay, and my partner's name is Terrence Ungo. We're worried about your husband. You can fertilize the lawn, I yelled. He went quiet. The lawn? That was not what I wanted to say. That was the worst phrase possible. I strained to listen for them, trading more instructions, but I could only hear the nearby rapids, which certainly didn't help. Every splash and babble seemed to have Clay's communications hidden within it. Miranda, he finally spoke up again. I'm sorry about the other two gentlemen you met. They were hostile to you, and that's inexcusable. The truth is, if you touch my daughter, I will kill you, I shouted. Not everyone in our little group is agreeing on how to proceed, he finished. Yes, absolutely. If I touch your daughter, please kill me. I'm not here to do anything but help you and help your daughter and especially help Erin. Where is Erin? Directly north. That's what I wanted to say, the opposite. I felt he really was, but I knew this statement would be too elementary. Clay would have to assume I'm suggesting the opposite direction. He would go south and he would find my family. Miranda shouted Clay. Then he stopped talking. The other guy, his partner, or goon, or when a dog was quietly asking about something, that almost sounded like the word dynamite. Wish we had some of that dynamite here, he murmured. Dynamite? It's at, it's at the ranch, Clay murmured, murmured back. Which branch? Wish we could use it on that strike. Dynamite for what? And what's the branch, he mentioned. What kind of strike were they planning? Miranda, do you need food? said Clay loudly. I didn't have a wristwatch, but I could tell our standoff had been going on for a while. We have food, he added. Do you need some? The stalemate was seductive. Simply the opportunity to eat something that irresistible. Yes, as we kept talking, and so close, I was beginning to realize Clay's game was deadlier than I thought. It was only after the third round of silence that I pinpointed it, but I could hear him mumbling very quietly again, which I assumed was to his panel, but he wasn't talking to him. 
Clang was on the phone. Clang had been on the phone. Well, it's Alan, he randomly said aloud to me again, this time in an even nicer tone than before. Then he resumed muttering. Muttering. A phone call he must have been using a satellite phone like we used when doing survey work in the remote locations. <coughs> Walk in remote locations. Playing wasn't playing mind games to get me to move. He was manipulating me to keep me still. There you have it. That is the third chapter of this episode. Are you ready for the final chapter of this episode? Let's begin. I probably should have been more distracted. I could have waited a moment and at least calculated some defense geometry, but I jumped up and left with no plan or preparation. I jumped up and sprinted. My new friend Clay Humpston had been summoning his extra troops. He pinned me down and held me at bay. While he gathered his forces, I cursed myself for being so gullible. But now I was sprinting full speed in the opposite direction, away from the highway. The game had changed. The car had changed everything I had to get to Erin and Serena. Call it willpower. Call it fear. Call it ovaries. The point is I ran so hard that I stopped caring about things like pain and air. My leg muscles were scalding. My lungs were screaming, but I didn't care. I ignored it. I came stumbling up the crags, stumbling toward the cave entrance, and nearly collapsed. Only now did I notice that my leg was bleeding. So was my mouth, actually. I dry heaved so hard, gasping for breath, <coughs> failing to swallow, failing to... <coughs> Dampened the pellet that I scorched the back of my throat. I spat blood. I was far from caring. I was 100% preoccupied with the cave. I finally reached Lloyd, nor terrified that I'd be walking into a tomb. They'd spent a night in and I was ready to find a modified child huddled over a stiff corpse with a single diagonal beam of sunlight clacking through the darkness from above, illuminating them like a medieval painting. And that's exactly what I saw, minus the sunbeam, minus the corpse. Mommy, said Serena from the far corner of the darkness. She jumped up, dissolving and two tears. We embraced for what must have been a three-week hug. She clamped into my chest and I looked across the gate to find Aaron looking back at me. He'd been asleep until Serena's joy had roused him. 
energized him. I can only imagine the fear they felt since I left. As I gathered Serena in my arms and approached my husband, I could see that his cheerful disposition was affecting. He was in bad shape. His skin was ghostly pale, and there was a hollow quantity to his eyes. I'd be the one fist him all day, but it seemed like he took one, every one of the blows. He looked a decade older than he did yesterday. The happy man who was in the back seat of the minivan with my daughter navigating the kangaroo galaxy was barely in the same cave with us now. He was a stranger. He was a stranger. Well, Miranda, he said, the whole one back. I've been tearing up a million questions for him that under normal circumstances, I would have launched into with guns blazing as if anything about any of this was normal. I'm here for you, I said to him. No questions, just love. You found, he struggled to speak. You found them? It took a moment for me to understand what he meant. Yes, I replied. They tried to kill me, yes. Then we uh, then we have some talking to do. Every syllable, a struggle. No, cases. Not now, babe. I can explain. He gathered himself. Drake, I saw. I have been trying to find a way to... Aaron, not now. I had to interrupt this. I couldn't let him drain his precious resources. Listen, if you love me, yes, I was pulling the, if you love me, Carl, if you love me, then you will do what I'm about to tell you. No questions asked. He answered without hesitation. Anything? My true ally. You want me to wear leather chaps, said Aaron, and a cowboy hat? No, I replied. I will do it, if that's your thing. Oh, suddenly now he has perfect speech. My thing is brains, I said. You know that. Brains and another hat. He was trying to crack a smile. Man, Sahara hadn't left my arms since I'd returned. Sahara, help me lift Daddy's legs, I said as I sat Aaron a single upturned eyebrow glare. You know how very impassionable four-year-old daughter is listening. It was reassuring to know that even in the worst of circumstances, you were still the biggest flutch of our time. Save your strength, I whispered. Don't yell at a dying man, he said. His smile just shy of a grimace. You're not dying. We all went still. I raised my voice for the first time 
perhaps in years before I could go on, he mustered all this all his strength and spoke clearly. I know this doesn't make any sense, and these guys are no joke. But I, but I trust that you can protect Sierra. I didn't want him to keep going, but he had more. You're smarter than them, Miranda. You're the smartest person I know. I hate compliments like that. Praise from blind faith. I hate them and love them. He added, you just tend to doubt yourself? Yeah, said Sierra. Now, said Anne, sipping gears, what is this horrible thing you are about to ask me to do? Eat broccoli? I took a deep breath and looked over at our daughter. She had her hair in a loose, half-finished side braid. She leaned it on the internet last. She learned it on the internet last month. This would not be easy for them. It wasn't even easy for me to think. I need you to climb. I said, I need you to climb. And there you have it, guys. There were four chapters. Four more chapters. Tune in on the next episode for four more chapters. Until then, bye-bye. And remember, if you like Ideal for Justin, please email me at justin.david.hibbert at gmail.com. Thank you. Bye-bye.